from recruiting and consulting firm Riderflex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your Riderflex podcast episode of the day. Love All that. right. Okay. How's my hair look? Your hair looks great. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy Putka on the Riderflex podcast. How are you doing, Stacy? I'm good, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I I have to admit, I didn't know about Defy Colorado before I was introduced to you, but uh, I got to studying, you know, the website and looking into it. And I thought, oh, no, this is pretty cool. So I'm anxious to get into it. But uh, before we go there, why don't you tell the listeners a little about yourself personally, give them a little, little family overview, growing up overview, talk about yourself a little bit first. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad uh, that you did hear about Defy Colorado to go back to that point really quick and that you're having me on today. Um, I feel like living in Colorado, one of the kind of Colorado claims to fame is being someone who was actually born here, who still lives here. Um, so I was born in Littleton and have stayed in Colorado my whole life. I just love the community here. I love the outdoors. Um, and I find it hard to believe to, to move anywhere else. They're hard to imagine. Um, so I grew up in Littleton. I'm the youngest of four siblings uh, by a significant chunk. I'm, I'm 11 years younger, younger than the middle sibling and 16 years younger than the oldest sibling. Wow. Were you like, um, a, were you like an accident? Were you like, oh, oops. Or <laughs> I was from, I was from my dad's second marriage. So okay. the first are technically half, gotcha. um, but we never thought about it like that. I always grew up with them around. So same as siblings, but they did go off to college and move out. Um, so I have a little bit of that, like only child as well. Oh, okay. uh, so I'm like an only and a youngest, which was always interesting growing up. What'd you folks um, do? My yeah. dad was in the car business. He oh. was an entrepreneur, um, which kind of ties back into Defy later on. I see. And owned a car dealership. Um, and my mom was a yoga teacher and a massage therapist. How about that? Okay. Running her own little business. So she had her own little LLC or whatever too. Okay. All right. Yeah. Two little yeah. two entrepreneurs going on there. I see where the... Yep. Okay. Got it. All right. Very yeah. good. All right. Walk us through some of your early life a little bit. Uh, yeah. After high school, going into college, stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, funny, funny thing about me that you might not know, especially once we get more into the, the interview, school was not my thing in high school. Oh, really? Um, I was definitely a lot more social than focused on education. So barely graduated. Um, that's, so that's why you went to Adams State first and, and then you had to yes. go to Adams State to get into CSU. <laughs> yeah, ah, I exactly. was wondering, I thought about that. I thought maybe that was the case. Okay. So yes, you wouldn't take you at first. You had to prove your way, get in there. Exactly. Exactly. So first, first two years of college, I was on the Dean's list and did really well. And then I was like, great, I have good enough grades. Okay. can transfer up to Fort Collins <laughs> and go to CSU. <laughs> That's pretty good. I appreciate you sharing that. Not everybody's yeah. honest about stuff like that. Uh, did you, and you were a psychology major, huh? Yes, I was. I uh, started out as a journalism major. I wanted to be a sideline reporter. Um, I really liked sports. I liked watching oh. sports with my family okay. and I was in a psych 101 class and it just it struck me uh, that that was what I needed to do. And I absolutely okay. fell in love with psych and science and the brain um, and all of those things. So I was a psych major and then I went on to get my master's in social work um, and was a practicing clinical therapist for a while. And yeah, because you had you took a little break there before you went to DU to get your master's, right? 
Yes, I did. Um, I worked at a residential treatment facility for teenage girls um, who had a full experience and definite intersections of trauma, mental illness, and substance abuse. Um, And then, but you, but you saw some things there. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lots of stuff. Uh, How did this, how did this, uh, so so early social work, obviously early social work, early social passion, very, very Mm -hmm. early in your career, which kind of ties to you being super social in high school and not making very good grades. It all goes together. Right. (laughs) How, how did this, uh, are you at DU and you decided, you decided to run for Miss Colorado? How does that happen? Well, I actually started in high school. Oh. I went to an event and I met a girl that was competing for Miss Colorado. She was there doing an appearance. She had on the crown and the sash and all those things. Okay. Um, and she just encouraged me to do it and she encouraged me to compete and I thought that there was no way that that wasn't my thing um and I was just too tall and awkward and and weird to be able to do a pageant (laughs) how tall are you I'm about six foot okay well that's not that's not like giant or anything okay but six foot okay pretty tall (laughs) usually that's what the first thing most people say to me when they meet me in person Oh, that probably helps you in your current line of work. At least you're an intimidating presence. I am intimidating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it works. It works for me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to get you off track. All right, so she gets you involved. So so you were doing uh, pageants and contests in high school even before. Okay, walk, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, so it, uh, it was a definite test of perseverance and passion and grit and that just stick with itness. I competed for Miss Colorado four times. Uh, before I finally actually won. Oh, that speaks to your character, though. In so 2014. That, speaks to, that yeah. speaks to determination, competitive spirit, all kinds of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. I had to go for a four. Yeah. Time. Wow. Did, how close did you get before that? Were you like a runner up or what place did you come in? I was, I was second runner up. I was first runner up. Then I was second runner up again. And <sighs> then I finally won. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, yeah. that last needed time, to get knocked off my high horse a little <laughs> bit that third time, I guess. <laughs> Wow. Good perseverance. I like that story. Uh, well, congratulations on winning it. How old were you when you won? Thank you. I was 24, which was the oldest that you can be. That's the age, the age limitation from Miss America. Oh, come on. Um, just, so it was my fourth yeah, and final year. Yeah. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. Okay. Fourth year, you runner up, second runner up. You, you, you're getting super close every time. You know this. This is your last one. You know when you go to that last one, like this is it. If I don't win it here, I, I can't come mm-hmm. back here. Ooh, man, lots of pressure. Yep, yep. yep lots definitely. of pressure. Did you? I know, think was it cl- the reason I felt less, I felt the lead pressure the last year because I knew that I had already put five years of preparation and practice. into this and it was it it was no longer about winning the title and more about developing these habits to become the kind of person that I wanted to become and to Mm. show up in the world that I wanted the way that I wanted to show up in the world Mm. and so I wasn't by that time I wasn't trying to be Miss Colorado anymore I I felt like Miss Colorado Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I was kind of like this is great like this is who I wanted to be this is what I wanted to do. This is how I wanted to show up. And hopefully the judges think that too. And if they don't, then fine, I'll go on and still do all the things I want to do. So much of that experience shaped who you are today. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Now, all right. So you're doing that, you win, that's cool. And you're, you're doing social work. 
All right. How does this walk us through how this ended up into Defy? Go give me the transition. Yeah. Um, so I was working as a, as a clinical therapist for people that were on parole. And I uh, accidentally kind of stumbled into that line of work. Honestly, I had a clinical skills professor at the University of Denver that I just adored. Okay. And he was a wonderful clinical skills teacher. I learned so much about how to build rapport with clients and how to conduct therapy in a really meaningful effective way. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to intern for him. So I showed up at my internship interview and the first question was, so Stacey, why do you want to work with people in the criminal justice system? I was like, I don't know, Brian, I just <laughs> want to intern for you. Um, and so I ended up working there for a few years. I interned and then I got hired on and I uh, ended up becoming the clinical team lead for the site that I worked at. Mm. And through that process of working with people on parole, I became extremely passionate about the criminal justice system. And the way that it was built is really flawed. I hear people say all the time, the criminal justice system is broken. Mm -hmm. It's not broken. It's working exactly how it's supposed to work. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. It was fundamentally built in this wrong way that doesn't actually achieve the means of community safety that we want it to or that we think it does mm -hmm. um and so i i was very very passionate about criminal justice reform um and when i was working with the guys on parole i was kind of working within the system okay and that was really frustrating and really difficult um and so when i heard about defy mm -hmm. and their approach it was very refreshing and very interesting to me in that I could be outside of the system, but work in partnership with them to create real systematic change um, and to work with people inside the system in a little bit more human way. How old is Defy? Defy has been in Colorado since 2017, so three years. Okay, so they had just, and you started there in 2017, so they had just gotten started when you joined? Yeah, so actually they were existed in five states already and they were doing a tester here in Colorado to see if they should expand. And I volunteered at their very, very first event. So by the time I was hired, I was on like the founding team for Colorado. So it was myself, I was the program manager and the executive director at the time. It was just the two of us. Was How about the guy you were working for? Was he pissed that you left and went to Defy? How'd you, how'd you manage that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was a really sad, I had an awesome team there and it was definitely hard yeah. to leave. Um, okay. and they were so much fun to work with, but you know, the, the, the thing that they all loved about the transition was that I was going deeper within the criminal justice system mm -hmm. and more towards reform. Um, and most of the time when people quit and most of the time when people left is because they were burnt out on the system and they left and went to go do something else. So my clients and the people that I worked with were all happy to see that I was still going to be working for change within the system. You answered that so well. Very, very smooth. Very good job. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So for the people that have no idea what we're talking about, Defy Colorado, yeah. Colorado.org. right? That's the website, DEFYColorado.org, yep. Defy Colorado. Why don't you give us the, give us the overview real quick. Go for it as it stands today. Yeah. So 
Defy Colorado exists to build a redemptive society in which every life is honored and economic freedom is a right, not a privilege. And we do that by working with people who are currently incarcerated. We start working with them while they're in prison and we continue working with them upon their release. And the tool that we really utilize for transformation and change and teaching people both soft and hard skills is entrepreneurship. Um, and so we get to partner with a lot of people in the community that are entrepreneurs in order to be able to do that really efficiently um, and from a well-rounded perspective. Layman's terms here. I'm going to go a little more, a little more layman's terms for me anyway. I'm a guy, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, incar- I'm incarcerated. Um, I'd like to start my own business when I get out. I got an idea. You can help me get there. Is that, is that is yep. sort of it? <laughs> yep, that's it. What if I, what if I don't want to be an entrepreneur? What if I just want to be an employee? Do you help those guys too? Or just be your primary yeah. focus is the entrepreneurs? I would say actually that our primary focus is the people that want a career and that want to work for a business, but okay. that are intrigued by entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, about 10% of our people actually start businesses. Um, and the other 90% go on to do really meaningful careers. Um, and not everyone's built to be an entrepreneur. There's 17,000 people, in there, exactly. There's 17,000 people incarcerated in the state of Colorado. And if we wanted to help every single one of them achieve economic stability by becoming an entrepreneur, it just, it's not yeah. realistic. Not gotcha. everyone can be an entrepreneur. So we use that entrepreneurial mindset to help people be entrepreneurs or people that work inside businesses. And is this stuff like how to file for an LLC, how to raise a seed round of cash, how to put together an operating agreement, how to set up a cap table? Is that, are we, is this, these kinds of things? Eventually. So we start out, it's a, it's an eight month course inside prison. I see. And it's weekly classes. It's two to three hours of homework outside of class. So there's a lot that goes into it. And the way that we see it is there's a lot in common with people with criminal histories and entrepreneurs, hustle, grit, creative thinking. So we want people to get really in touch with that first and see themselves as an entrepreneur. Mm. So the first part of the eight month course is actually character development where people are getting in line with their values and also finding a little bit of self-confidence of like, oh yeah, I am an entrepreneur. Like I can do this. I could start a business. I could have a really badass career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we work on re-entry preparation because when people are coming out, day one out of prison, no way anyone could start a business. Yeah. You don't have clothes. You don't have housing. Yeah. Sometimes you don't even have an ID. So we have to do like basics. What is your plan for when you walk out of here? How are you going to be successful? How are you going to set yourself up to become an entrepreneur? And then the last part of the class is the nuts and bolts, filing for an LLC, deciding your structure, writing your business plan, coming up with a marketing strategy, identifying your target audience, all of those things. Do they have the tools they need to do the study? Can they get online? They they got all the, (laughs) no. (laughs) No, no. It's one of the most impressive things about the people that we work with, their resourcefulness and their ability to find that information. But inside Colorado prisons, you don't have access to. You you can't just Google. You can't just Google how to file for an LLC. You can't just go to. You can't do that. No, no. 
you can you can go to the library and they do have a really cool library system where you can request any library book um, to be like sent to your facility. So they can get library books, but that's pretty much it. So that's where mentors and people from the community come in. So we take mentors, entrepreneurs, business people in from the community on a weekly basis So if someone's doing a lawn care business and they're working on identifying their price points, they can say to a mentor, hey, like, what's the going rate for lawn care service? What do you pay? What's the most you would pay? What what kind of rate would you like to pay? Um, And so our mentors kind of serve as as Google. I gotcha. Okay. All right. Talk to us about how you can be involved, by the way. How how do you, uh, I'm guessing there's, I'm guessing you can either volunteer or you can you know, help with funding, because I'm, I'm assuming you have to raise a lot of cash for this stuff. So talk to us about how you can be involved all the different ways. Yeah, we need mentors, we need people with empathetic mindsets who have business backgrounds that are interested in supporting the people in our program, um, who believe in second chances. So if you go to the website that you said earlier, defycolorado.org, uh, there's a drop down page on how to how to get involved, how to volunteer. Um, and you can let us know if you're interested in volunteering. And of course, we do always need donations. We're completely privately funded. Um, we get donations from individuals that we work with and from foundations. Um, so you can donate on the website as well. How many volunteers so do you have? Like, like, like how many mentors do you have in your program, roughly? And I'm sure that fluctuates, but just in general. It does. And it's because we don't require people to come in 18 times or something like that. If you want to come once, you can come in once. So the the number of individuals involved in who have been mentors is 600. Wow. Okay. And some of those 600 flow, some of those 600, I'm sure come back periodically when they have time. Yeah. And there's some, we have an individual that goes to one of our facilities once a week and she did it for eight months last year. Um, so it really is kind of up to the mentors and what they want to do. The thing about prisons is they're not in our backyard. They're very far away. Right. Um, our closest one is two hours from the Denver metro area. So asking mm. someone to go really frequently is a is a heavy lift. And we where is that? that? Where is the closest one? La Vista Women's Correctional Facility in Pueblo. Okay. I thought there was one in, uh, down by Buena Vista somewhere. No. Uh, we, we have Canyon City, which is about two and a half hours, two hours and 15 minutes if you drive like me. <laughs> um, and then we're at Arkansas Valley Correctional Facility, which is about three and a half hours in are you, Ordway, Colorado. Are those the only three facilities or you're, you're only in certain facilities? Yes, we're only in certain facilities. We're also a really small team of three. So our program director drives to all three facilities. Um, when we're doing class in person, this year has been different because it's COVID and we can't do things in person. Yeah. Um, but when we're doing in-person programming, it's at those three facilities. We'd like to expand at some point in 2021. Um, but we are doing something really cool okay. where we record stuff with mentors online and we are sending it into all of the prisons right now. So all 17,000 people in Colorado prisons have access to device programming on their television. So this is why, okay, now I understand. My partner, Scott, 
uh, here at Riderflex because we have a podcast where we give a bunch of career advice, lots of career advice, right. lots of lots of entrepreneurial advice. We interview lots of entrepreneurial startup founders, and he said, "Hey, we I want to give some videos to Stacy." And I was like, "Well, just send her to the YouTube page. Like, just just go to the YouTube page. They're right. all on the YouTube page." But now yeah. I now I get it. They can't just do that, right? So, yeah, exactly. You got to have so the, the YouTube page is an option. So we're YouTube for them. <laughs> I see. That's why you had to have the files. And okay. Um, and we were, we only gave you a few files. We have like, I mean, we have hundreds of, of tips and interviews. I mean, we have like over 150 uh, entrepreneurial interviews that everybody else yeah. on the planet can watch for free because they can get to YouTube, but these guys can't get to it unless we give you the files. Okay. I'm going to make a personal note of that and make sure that we give you, get you some additional files. Um, Thank you. There, I appreciate no reason... that. Yeah. Any additional content we can get in there is beneficial. Yeah. I mean, why not? I, they just, all we got to do is put them in a Dropbox or a shared Google folder or however you need them. I don't, you know, so for anybody else yeah. listening, I mean, cause there's some great po podcasts around starting businesses. I mean, that's huge. I'm, we have a podcast that does pretty well, but there's millions of podcasts about startups and entrepreneurs. They just can't, these guys can't get to them. Right. So hmm, I see the, I see the challenge there. Okay. So back to mm -hmm. the fact that you're only in certain facilities. So you're a small team, which means you can only do so much, but if you had more cash raised, then you could hire more people and you could be in more facilities. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> all right so cash raising what what percentage of your job is talking to people that have money saying hey i need help over here i need you to write a check for me what how much time do you spend on that about 50 percent yeah. uh being just a small team of three i yeah. do a lot of operations yeah. back office kind of stuff um and i still do a lot of program work as well which is nice because that keeps my it keeps me passionate and keeps me remembering our mission and, and who we serve. Um, so I'd say about 50% is fundraising. The rest is program admin what's, back office. What's the biggest hurdle you run into on the fundraising? What, what, do, what do you hear from, from people that have money? What, what are they saying? Yeah, I want to I be involved in something, but I don't want to give it to former prisoners. Like what kind of pushback are they giving you? Yeah, I think that one of the disconnects is like, why am I giving money to help people in prison? And most of the donors were able to, can, you know, help them understand why in prison is so important. But if we think about the way the system is structured and what we say time spent incarcerated is supposed to be towards, it's supposed to be for rehabilitation. People are yeah. supposed to be yeah. rehabilitated while they're inside. Yeah. So when they come out, they're not a risk to the community anymore. They're not a risk to themselves. Um, they can they can go on living their life. But that's not what has traditionally happened with the correction system. People are locked away. They're, they're taken away from their families. They're taken away from resources. They don't get meaningful job experience. And they're set up for a disadvantage so that when they do come back into our communities, they don't have anything. They don't have any skills. They don't have any experience. They don't have any confidence. They don't have any money. Um, and we expect them to somehow become successful after that. So mm. it is essential that we work with people while they're in prison because that's the, they're stable there. They have housing, they have food, they have clothing, like all their basic needs are met. So we can talk about how do you get in line with your values, mm. right? How do you decide 
who you are and how you want to show up and how can you come up with a plan to execute that and be that kind of person. Whereas so many reform or like re-entry services, they're called re-entry services because they help people when they're getting out of prison. Okay. But at that point, they don't have any of the basic needs. So they're just focused on how do we get this person a bus pass to go to their job interview? How do we make sure they have an outfit to wear? Um, so I think that, that that model is really innovative and is essential to the success of the people that we serve. But that's usually the biggest pushback from a fundraising perspective. Don't we want them to be rehabilitated so that they're productive members of society instead of just coming out with right. no skill, no skills, no money, no home, and then they just end up doing more crime because they're trying to eat? Because they know how. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, usually I can usually I can convince people like, oh, that makes sense. That's why we give money for people who are in prison. I'm sure that you, if you were trying to convince me to write a check, you, you, you share success stories. I'm sure you have like a book of success stories where you're like, look, this guy right here, here's an example. Do you have, I'm sure you have those. Yes, absolutely. One of my favorites is one of the individuals that did start his business. Uh, he was actually wrongly incarcerated for 30 years. Oh. Um, yeah, that's hard. That is so heartbreaking. I, I, I've seen specials it, like I've seen specials like that on Netflix and stuff that that stuff is just heart wrenching. I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you would never know it by meeting him. I mean, he is the most positive, outgoing, happy, kind person. You would never know that wow. he had, was, was that negatively affected by the system, right? Like I would be bitter if I was spent 30 years that I didn't need to spend in prison, I would be extremely bitter. And he's not, he's so positive. Mm. Um, but he was actually in our very first cohort, our first class at Colorado State Penitentiary. He won the business pitch competition, which we do at the end of the eight month program. Oh, cool. And he came out and he actually started that business. Um, and it's a rapid flood mitigation system, rapid <laughs> deploy flood mitigation. Are you system. serious? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a successful business now doing, doing volume with like employees and all kinds of stuff. He's still working on employees. He's more, he's doing manufacturing right now. He had to get prototypes. He's only okay. been out since March. Oh. So he's in kind of the prototyping manufacturing phase. And then he needs to sell it. Really, he needs to sell it to like government agencies, state agencies, um, so that he can sell bulk. So he's working on that process right now. And then he'll, then he'll grow. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you also have the heartbreaking stories that where you spent time on somebody and you thought they were going to do well. And then they ended, and then you found it, you get a phone call in the middle of the night and they committed a crime and they're going back in. I'm sure there's some heartbreaking stuff in there too. I'm guessing. Yeah, we haven't, we're really, really lucky. We haven't had anyone commit okay. another crime that we know that, of. That's good. Um, yeah, we've, so we've had in our three years, it says a lot about how long we keep people in prison in the three years that we've worked in Colorado, we've served about 170 people. Okay. Um, and only 34 of them have been released from prison. Oh, wow. So, I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So of those 34, none have gone back. Um, and none oh, Very have good. Congrats, congratulations. That's a major, that's a major stat for you. Thank right you. There. That's, that's yeah. huge. That's yeah. huge. It is, especially considering 50% on average go back within the first three years of release. Wow. Okay. That's, let's, just take, let's just take a deep breath right there. The 34 people that have gotten out that went through your program, none of them have gone back. 
Woo, that's huge, Stacy. That's big. That's pretty big. That's, that's that's pretty special. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. We're very we're very proud. Yeah, you should be. I'm glad you don't have a lot of people breaking your heart, breaking your heart then and letting you down. Doesn't sound like that's really good. So you're obviously doing a lot yeah. of great things for them to be able to get back into society. You're right. I've I never thought about it, but I have heard about these services like let me help you get a bus pass, let me help you get your first set of clothes, let me get. To, I've heard about. There, I know there's companies that do that, right? Yeah. But then, but then what? <laughs> you, you know. Right. You're all about the hey, what's at what, what's after the bus pass kind of thing a little bit. Um, yeah, which is why we we also love those organizations to partner with because we provide the soft skills training and education. And then it's when they need a bus pass or they need a new set of clothes, they can go to those community partners. Mm -hmm. We can't all do it all. I think that that, especially for the listeners right now, that is one of the biggest faux pas, I think, in the nonprofit startup space is that people think that they need to do it all. Mm -hmm. And we can't do it all. You have to find your niche and then find partners and people that you can who can also you help further their mission while they help further yours i love it you know one of the things that, that, that i think is awesome you're teaching them how to be an entrepreneur and own your own business which is great for people that are worried about filling out applications as an employee and they do a background check and you can't you can't get hired there because you're a former criminal you're a former convict right. you're having to check right. do you still have to do that on the applications you got to check the little box i don't know if that's still a rule but you don't but, in Colorado. They repealed that a couple of years ago. But still, if they run a background check, they're going to find it, right? And so yeah. if you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. You own your own business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love that. Okay, very good. Sounds like you need additional funding and additional volunteers. Hopefully, uh, you'll get that as you move along because it sounds like an awesome program. You know, before I ask you about being CEO slash managing director. I want to go down that path for a minute, but before we get there, yeah, I just, you know, beyond, beyond the guys that are incarcerated, you know, unfairly, or they, they didn't do it beyond the guys that are innocent. I've, like I said, I've seen specials like that on HBO and Netflix and stuff. And I just, man, those are hard. Those are hard to watch. I mean, emotionally, but beyond that, I also feel very sad for the guys that weren't real criminals but did this one thing like like they they had too many beers they they drove home drunk uh, they shouldn't have but before before that they had a family never been arrested before never done anything wrong and they drove home that one night as a dui and accidentally hurt somebody or killed somebody and boom there they are they're mm -hmm. in prison along with like yep. real criminals and then and then they're in prison and now they're having to join some sort of gang while they're in there and then they get forced to commit another crime because they're trying to protect themselves and then bam now they're in there for 30 40 years just like that because of one little mistake i feel really bad for people like that um, yeah yeah you know, one, one little it's a significant it's a significant number of them that are like that huh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not all of them are lifelong criminals like they've been criminals since they were 15. a lot of them it's like they made this one mistake and bam they're in the system yeah and and for the ones you know it's really interesting we do this ex we do this exercise when we bring volunteers in called step to the line and we say a series of statements and people step forward and backward to indicate if the statement is true for them or not so it's basically you get everyone's life story in the room without any talking um, you get to see people's experiences and one of the things that struck me the first time i volunteered and the first time i did the activity is 
the people that have been engaging in illegal activity their whole lives didn't have a lot of other options, mm. right? Like that too. they were eight and just their mom was at home and she was working three jobs and she still couldn't afford to pay the rent. Yeah. And they have someone who's jumping them into a gang saying, Hey, if you come do this with me, I'll give you money. You yep. can give it to your mom. Like we'll help, we'll help take care of you. Um, mm. And there's a lot of, you know, that's, that's that common thing with entrepreneurs. It's like, creative thinking and yeah True. they were doing illegal stuff it was illegal like there there's no i don't disagree with that but i do disagree with them needing to spend significant amounts of time in prison which are only perpetuating that behavior mm. um to like repay a debt to society when there's so many other ways like getting someone really good job training and providing them opportunities to become better people and become who they really want to be inside. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they can give back to our communities in meaningful ways and pay taxes and create exactly. jobs and all of those things instead exactly. of being a drain on the state. That's the big thing right there. I mean, really, I mean, um, yes, we're improving lives, but Hey, at the end of the day, we're trying to make them productive members of society here. So that it's not a drain on the taxes is like they're, 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 they're helping, you know, they're part of the system, yeah. uh, which yeah. I think is awesome. Exactly. Um, exactly. I had, a, I had a guy tell me one time that spent time in prison. He said, the only difference between me and you is I made a bad decision one time. So did you, you got away with it. I didn't. And I ended up in the system and yeah. I was like, Oh man, that's pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. It's true. It's true. It is we true. all can think about that shameful, awful, not one thing, multiple things that yes. we've done in our lives. Absolutely. Or if a police officer had been standing there. Yep. No doubt about it. Be I, in to the same I, positions. I totally agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. Some mm -hmm. of us have just flat out gotten lucky uh, uh, for yeah. sure. Okay. So you're the, you're the managing director of this thing. You have employees. You're the managing director is basically the CEO captain, right? Yep. Captain. That's a yep. lot of pressure. That's a little bit of pressure, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I I uh, I started as executive director this year uh, in January of 2020, and I thought that you know I'd be I'd be great because I had been working so closely with the other executive director as the program manager, and he and I also eventually broke away from the national organization, filed our own articles of incorporation, got our own 501c3. So I was on the ground floor with him doing all of that. Um, so I thought I had it figured out when I got promoted to executive director in January <laughs> and that pressure, what you're talking about is, was the thing I did, wasn't expecting, you know, we, we onboarded health insurance at the beginning of the year. And I was like, wow, I'm responsible for these people having health insurance right? and exactly. their paychecks and <laughs> their livelihood. You know, that was, yeah. that's a big realization to have. People have no idea the amount of pressure that's involved with having employees, employees mm -hmm. that are getting checks from your company that help pay the mortgage, pay the car payment, the daycare. Basically, they're depending on you, the captain, to make the right decisions to keep those checks coming, right? Because it supports their families. Yeah. So not only do you have the pressure of the prisoners saying, hey, help me, Stacy," but you got the employee pressure too, right? Not to mention you're, yeah. not to mention you're married and have a family at home. There's, there's always those pressures as well. 
right right <laughs> you seem pretty you seem pretty calm you seem pretty relaxed you hide it well oh well i have tricked you then i guess <laughs> <laughs> by the way we didn't even really talk about the pressures of trying to raise cash i, I mean it takes a unique individual to ask somebody to write checks i mean i hate to put it in such direct terminology but that's what you're doing i mean that you that's what you're doing you're asking people with money to write checks i mean we can make we can put yep. fancy verbiage around it all we want to but that's what it is right right <laughs> yeah i mean and it's it's easier when it is a mission that i'm so passionate yeah. about where i yeah, can say exactly you know if it was if it was asking them for something that i didn't believe in that mm -hmm. would be more i mean i'm not saying it's not hard like that moment right before you say <laughs> I need $10,000 to be able to do this new program or provide these resources. Like, can you help? Can you, can you write us a check for 10 grand? Like right. that, that moment is always scary, but it is so much better when I'm standing on the foundation of knowing that I believe in our mission and that they believe in our mission too. And that, that they'll feel good when they give us the $10,000. That's something I always have to remind myself of right. is they they give it because they want to and they give it because they believe in the people in our program and they believe in our mission that makes it a little bit less less anxiety provoking or at least that's what i tell myself what are what are a couple of things you've learned about being captain that you want to share that you you might give some advice to first-time ceos or first-time managing directors based on what you've learned so far what would you tell them i think you have to trust yourself um the that imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. is so common for yeah. people in leadership roles to think, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, or I can't do this, or I don't know, or, you know, who am I to say what the answer to that question is? And you're placed in the position that you're in because people believe in you or you believe in you. And you have to just trust yourself and, and make those hard calls. And set up checks and balances and put things in place to, you know, if you need consultation, you can get it. But at the end of the day, you trust yourself to know that you're making the right decisions. I agree. If you could call the young lady coming out of CSU and tell her anything, looking back now, based on what you've learned in this early, you're still pretty young, by the way, but based on this early career. Yeah, yeah. What would, you, would you tell her anything based on what you know now? I would tell her you can do big things. I, I think I always envisioned coming out of college that I was not just, I mean, there's lots of people that are therapists and that is, they're so good at it. And that's a yeah. wonderful career for them. Um, but I felt like I, I felt in my heart at that point that I was settling to just be a therapist. Yeah and do that for the rest of my life. That would be um, like, that would be like your dad just being a car salesman instead of an ownership dealer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's in my blood. Um, and so I, I, I get so fired up and passionate about injustices in the world. Mm -hmm. And when I was providing therapy, it was wonderful and I enjoyed it. But at the same time, I was like, gosh, the system is so messed up. And if this person didn't have this stupid systemic barrier in their way, mm. they could be successful. Like, how can I actually set people up for success by both empowering the individual and creating some change within the system? And mm. so 
I didn't believe in myself that I could create any large scale change or facilitate it in any way. Um, and so I would say to myself, you can do big things. You can create change in those spaces that you want to. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. Do you find yourself being torn between spending time on reform versus, you know, running defy and helping future entrepreneurs? I mean, you're, I, I can see you being your passion being pulled in both directions. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of what we've taken on really, especially this year since I started as executive director and with everything that's been going on in our communities, it's really highlighted the systemic problems that okay. exist. We have a natural position where we have 600 mentors and people that are paying attention to what we're doing. So it's we have this platform and we can speak on policy reform and smart criminal justice reform policy that people can listen. So I think it's this perfect marriage of what we do because we put the humanity and the heart and the face to the people within the system mm -hmm. and get people to believe that those folks deserve better because they get to meet them. And when they meet them, they know that people deserve better and that the system has not served them well. And then we can turn that into action by saying we can create policy changes that will better support these individuals. If you had to define your core purpose in life and put it into a sentence, have you thought about it? Do you have it structured like that? I think I'm an advocate. You, you are, by the way. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you're doing is awesome. Uh, I really do. I, and, and it's needed. I hope, uh, hopefully, hopefully this podcast will, will get some additional volunteers and maybe some additional funding. Cause I think what you're doing is great. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone that's interested, if it spoke to them, but we would love to hear from them. Thanks for being on the Rider Flex podcast, Stacey. Thanks for having me, Steve. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone, you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.